Welcome back. You're with uh, Changing Gear on Radio Veritas, the Catholic radio station, at 25 minutes to 5 in the afternoon. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Um, This coming Sunday, uh, I want to speak about it on two levels. Uh, First now, about the Gospel of the Sunday, but also, as you may have heard, Pope Francis has dedicated the the second last Sunday of the year uh, of the church year, the 33rd Sunday, to be the World Day of the Poor. We will speak about that later and how the Pope encourages us to make a special effort to reach out to the poor, uh, whom he defines rather extensively in his letter. Uh, but I want to speak now for a few moments, because people have asked me to do so, uh, to have a look at the gospel that we will read in the church this uh, Sunday. And it's a, uh, a story that you know very, very well. It's about a man going to a far country, and he calls three of his servants, and he gives uh, one servant five talents, he gives another two, and he gives another one. And you know that the, he comes back after a number of years, and the servant who got five talents comes back with five extra that he has earned. The man who got two talents comes back with two which he has earned, and the master praises them and gives them great responsibility in his kingdom. But then the man who was given one talent comes back and says to the king, says to the owner, he, he says, um, you are a hard man, and so I did not trade with your talent. I dug a hole in the ground and buried it, and now I have dug it up, and I'm giving it back to you, the one talent that you gave me. And the master is quite angry with this, uh, what he calls, good-for-nothing servant. Now, what is the value of this, uh, the use of the talents? Um, you know, getting five talents and trading for five more, getting two talents, trading and getting two more, and being given one talent and doing nothing with it. What is Jesus teaching in this parable, in this story? Obviously, he's not really teaching them how to run a capitalist system of government, how to trade and to make money. He's not speaking as a CEO of a, of, of a capitalist uh, company. Uh, he's not talking about investments or shares or buy low, sell high and other sort of uh, trading advice. Well, look, to understand what Jesus is teaching here, first of all, let us remember the context. Uh, as the story begins, we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and he will die there. Uh, he's looking back over his life and he sees a lot of failure in it. His people Uh, The majority, especially their leaders, have not listened to him in spite of his miracles, in spite of his holiness, in spite of his magnificent teaching, in spite of the fact, as we know, he was the son of God. People in general had not followed him, except for the remnant, that small group of apostles and very good friends from the villages of Galilee who had come to believe in him. So Jesus then uh, considering uh, the situation of his time in his own country, uh, he sees the failure of his people. He sees the failure of his people. He has come, the Son of God. Uh, God could not have given them a greater gift. 
God had given them so many gifts from the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the great history, all the interventions of God on their behalf for century after century. God had given them so many gifts, so many talents. God had now given them Jesus himself. Uh, but Jesus was now seeing that his people had wasted God's gifts. Um, because God had called that people to be the light of the world. He had shared his wisdom, his law, uh, his intention for the world with them, so that they would share that law with other nations, so that they, by the way they lived, by the charity and mercy and goodness that would characterize people who are faithful to God's uh, law, who are like God, who knew something of God in that sense, uh, he had shared that so that they would share that law, that teaching, that praise and worship, and that uh, culture and goodness of life with other nations. But they had done the opposite. They had turned in on themselves. They had not shared with others. Um, they had not shown the mercy that is the true heart of religion and the true heart of God. Instead, they had rejected other people. They had rejected many of their own and excluded them from their faith. Uh, they were characterized by a certain amount of greed and also they despised others. They trampled on the poor and the peasants and the uneducated who were not able to observe the thousands or hundreds of prescripts that they had drawn out of the simple law of God. So this parable then is not about economics or making money. It is actually about sharing. This parable of the talents is actually about sharing. Sharing faith, sharing concern, sharing Ubuntu, sharing mercy, sharing humanity. Uh, and because they did not do that, they left many people in the dark. They left many people, thousands, generation after generation, to suffer in the darkness of not going, knowing God. And so, as the parable said, God is angry because he gave them a grace for all, but they had buried it in the sand. They had not used it. They had not shared it. So, this parable obviously then applies to us today. You know, because God shares his light, his will, his love, and he wants us to share uh, so that uh, we become life-giving. Now, there is a story, I'm sure you heard it, it's an Inganiguani, it's just a legend, but it teaches something, that when Jesus, after his resurrection, after his crucifixion, returned to heaven, he met the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel said, looked at the wounds in the hand of Jesus, looked at the crown of thorns on his head, uh, remembered the tremendous suffering and effort that Jesus had made to gather his people together. The angel Gabriel says to Jesus, like, uh, will they remember how much you have loved them? Will they know how much you have cared for them? Will they uh, put into action what you have taught them? And Jesus says to the angel Gabriel, Well, I told Peter and James and John. And Gabriel, of course, has been an angel, knowing Peter, James and John was rather doubtful. Uh, he says, uh, Have you told anybody else? Jesus said, Well, no, I, I, I just taught Peter and James and John. And um, 
Uh, Gabriel says, have you taken any other measures to make sure that this wonderful thing that you have done for them, the salvation you have offered them, have you uh, taken any other measures that that could be remembered? And Jesus said, I told Peter and James and John. So it brings out the, 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 the teaching, really, that the Lord is depending upon us. He's asking us to share our faith, share our charity, share our mercy, share our property even with other people. Uh, this is uh, uh, what the Lord is expecting us to do, that we be uh, uh, people uh, of that nature of sharing faith and Christian life, the Holy Spirit, the sacraments, the Word of God. This is what we believe in. We have a faith. We know who God is. We know the direction to go towards God is the way of the gospel. We know the Savior of the world. We know how much he loves us. We know that he shows us the face and the heart of God. We have his word in the sacred scriptures. We meet him in the sacraments. And we know that his law is the law of love, love for God and love for neighbor. We know that he left us a church, a community where we could belong and feel close to each other. These are not personal possessions. These are meant to be shared. That is, therefore, the teaching of Jesus is not meant to be buried. You know where he says, love one another, forgive 70 times 7, what you do to the least you do unto me. You know, uh, these are meant to be lived and to be shared. And also creation itself. Today, even today's newspaper tells us that 1%, 1 in a 100 of the people in the world today, 1 in a 100 who are the rich people of the world today, they own half the world. 99, the rest of us, 99% own the other half. So 1% own 50%, if you like, of, of, of the world, of, of environment, of creation and uh, that is certainly something that must change billions have nothing you know and for many people education and wealth have degenerated into snobbishness and into racism so uh, the two servants the the, 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 the the servant who uh, shared his five talents and the servant who shared his two talents they gained more they gained more because they trusted they trusted when you give you get more when you don't trust even the little you have is taken away so uh, let us then uh, learn from this uh, parable. It's not about how to make money in the world. It's about how to share the light that God has given us, and how to accept that we are deeply loved by God, that we are children of God, and to, sh to make this world a family where people can trust and love each other. Uh, you remember uh, the servant who um, buried his one talent in the ground. He says, I heard you are a hard man to God, and so I buried it, uh, my talent. Um, well, uh, we have to ask ourselves also, do we give people, do we cause people to say, you know, uh, God is a hard man? What is the picture of God that we give? What is that God that we believe in? What is he really like? Uh, how do we share uh, this uh, faith in God with others? 
Um, Jesus, remember, trusted. You know, he left everything in the hands of his church when he died. He promised to be with them, even though he's with them in spirit and we don't physically see them. But he trusted that we would carry on his work, that we would share the talents, that is, our knowledge we have of God. And so at the end of the church year, coming towards the end of the church year, here is a parable of the talents, which is a call not how to make money, but how to share uh, our faith and our humanity with others. Let us listen now to the next uh, hymn, which is Hail Queen of Heaven. It is 10 to 5. You're with Radio Veritas, uh, the program Changing Gear. Welcome, and it's lovely to have you with us on the program this Thursday afternoon. Archbishop William Slattery of Swania Pretoria speaking with you. Now, uh, this coming Sunday, this Sunday, 33rd Sunday of the year in the church year, uh, on November the 19th, uh, Pope Francis has declared it to be the World Day of the Poor. I must say, I'm sorry that perhaps we're becoming conscious of this a bit late, but uh, at least it's going to be an annual event. You know, you have the mini World Youth and uh, we have other events. Uh, there's a, a World Day for the Sick on the 11th of February each year, the Feast of Our Lady of Lourdes. And now the Pope has declared this uh, 33rd Sunday of the year to be the World Day of the Poor. And so now this coming Sunday, 19th of uh, November, will be the World Day of the Poor. Um, it is the first time that this has been celebrated, but the, the, it's the Pope's intention, in, uh, his, his intention that this continue in future. Now, Pope Francis himself uh, lived a very simple life as a, a Jesuit, as a priest, as a bishop, as a cardinal. Uh, he was the cardinal of a city of 13 million people, most of them Catholics, Buenos Aires in Argentina. And uh, living in that huge city, uh, he lived a very simple life. He traveled from parish to parish by public transport. Uh, he had a special love for poor parishes, some of which he continually visited to pray and visit the people. Uh, uh, one man was telling me that he went to visit years ago, uh, Cardinal, uh, as he was then, um, uh, Bergoglio, in, uh, in, 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 in Buenos Aires. And the Cardinal came to meet him at the airport in a car that he had borrowed from a neighbor. And instead of taking him to the great sites of this huge city, uh, Cardinal Bergoglio, Pope Francis now, uh, took his friend to visit the places of the poor. These, he felt, were the most important places in his city. And indeed, we know he took the name of St. Francis of Assisi when he was elected Pope because St. Francis of Assisi, above all the saints, is famous for being close to the poor and living a life of great simplicity and poverty. Uh, the, the Pope then has issued this invitation to the Church throughout the world to participate in the World Day of the Poor. So let us do what we can in the short time allowed us. Uh, the Pope, uh, at the end of his letter, summarizes, I suppose, what he's been saying. He says, the poor are not a problem. They are a resource. They are a resource. 
uh, from which to draw. So this is the attitude that uh, Pope Francis takes to the poor, that he's dealing with a resource. In other words, when you spend time with the poor, when you reach out to the poor, above all, when you have a real relationship with the poor, then uh, you actually are enriched then it does something good to you. It's not just that you give them something, but actually that you get something from the poor. This is the attitude that Pope Francis has uh, towards the poor. Uh, Now, so therefore, the poor are not a problem. They are a resource. That is, they are a wellspring. They are something that somebody who gives us joy. Uh, And, you know, throughout history, we see that, you know, Jesus himself uh, tells us, blessed are the poor in spirit. He himself lived a very poor life. He did not have a place to lay his head. Uh, He lived uh, as a simple man in the villages in the north of Israel, in Galilee, among simple and poor people. Um, uh, and he spent his time alleviating the situation of the poor. That was Jesus. Now, as well as that, uh, we find already in the early church, they continued they continued the same uh, practice of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we read about that early community, which was in Jerusalem. And they were characterized by prayer, by the breaking of bread, by going to the temple to pray, and above all, by uh, their care for the poor so that nobody was in need. Nobody was in need. They saw to that. Uh, mentions it again in chapter 15. You know, at the end of the first council of the church, uh, they immediately uh, uh, said, look, uh, do certain things, uh, but make sure that you care for the poor, which St. Paul tells us was the very thing he wanted to do. St. James is very concrete, very practical. Uh, he says, do not treat the poor uh, in, as second-class citizens. Receive them, welcome them. And through the ages, the Catholic Church, in spite of its failures, sometimes it became very wealthy, but there is no other institution that has done more for the poor. You know, in the Middle Ages, when, you know, there were... Mm, thousands of lepers throughout the world it was the church that went to them when they were when when you were sent to prison your family had to feed you in prison uh, it was the church that cared for the prisoners it was the per- church that cared for travelers it was the church that cared for widows and orphans for little children which built the first hospices which built the first hospitals which built the first schools it was the church that did all of these things because it felt called to to reach out to the poor. Uh, We remembered great examples from history. We remember tomorrow now is the feast for the Franciscan Third Order of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, the patroness of the Third Order of St. Francis. Elizabeth, uh, she was uh, sent uh, to the king of, uh, well, to the prince of Hungary uh, that she should grow up with him. And at the age of 14, she married uh, the man who was to become the king of Hungary. (coughs) Sorry, their marriage was a very, very loving marriage. Uh, And soon they had four children. When her husband went on crusade to the Holy Land to liberate the places of Christ for the visitors from the, from all, uh, Catholic Christian visitors from all over the world, uh, uh, Elizabeth remained behind. But he died there. 
and when the news came back, Elizabeth almost lost her mind. Her troubles were increased. She was a person who spent anything she had to care for the poor. Her best clothes, the best food, uh, the shelters, everything as a queen she did to help the poor, even though she was only 20, 22 years of age. But then, uh, yes, tremendous crisis arose in her life because the brother of her husband... Her brother-in-law now wanted to take over the kingship and he expelled her and her children from the palace and she had to find her way along the roads with nothing. Eventually, with help from some people, she built a little house beside a river and there she used to gather the sick poor and nurse them until they died. Uh, She used to even go fishing in order to find food for them. She died at the age of 24. Uh, She finds, especially in Marion Hill and in Durban, uh, or where you have uh, German-founded churches, you'll always find St. Das Window, or churches dedicated to the name of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, one of the great saints of the Middle Ages, but someone who was famous, above all, for her love and care for the poor. So, uh, as the Pope says, uh, really and truly, the poor are not a problem. So many of the saints became saints through their care for the poor. The poor are a resource. There is a story of a um, of a very, very rich woman who was middle-aged and who was very fed up with life, could find happiness in nothing. She was always totally depressed. She was thinking of taking her own life. She found nothing meaningful to live for. She came to see a psychologist. The psychologist, she told her problem. The psychologist said, well, look, wait, let me call the lady who cleans the office and listen to her story. So she called in the lady who cleaned the office. They sat down and this lady began to tell this very rich lady her experience how her husband had been killed in an accident, how her son had died a few months later, leaving her alone and with nothing, and she lost all hope and all desire to live, and all happiness exited her life. Uh, And so uh, she lived like this for week after week, for month after month, month, in total depression, in total uh, darkness and sadness. And then one day she noticed there was a little cat, a little kitten who used to come to her door and she saw that the kitten was hungry and had nothing and she put out a little drop of milk, began to look after this cat and um, she saw the joy that, if you could call it that, the happiness or the the, ple- the pleasure the cat got out of being cared. And she brought the cat into the house and she noticed that she, it, every time she helped this little kitten, she felt so much happy, uh, happy, uh, happy for the first time. And so she turned her attention to poor people. And now she began to see, try to make them happy. And the more happy... Uh, She made him the happier she herself became. And she discovered the secret of happiness is not seeking it, but in giving it. And uh, this is why the poor, in a sense, are a resource who, uh, who have a tremendous ability to enrich us. And this indeed is what uh, the Lord has uh, uh, invited us to do. Now, uh, 
when we speak about the poor, especially in church or in parish communities, uh, people react in negative ways, you know, about helping the poor. Now, this Sunday being the Sunday for the World Day for the Poor, you know, people react in different ways. You know, um, uh, People are willing maybe to give a little gift, put a, a few rand in a basket or something, and uh, uh, which is good. And many parishes are so generous and excellent. But the drawback here is that the danger is we do not encounter the poor themselves so that and they, we treat them as objects. So that's a, that's a problem we have in trying to care for the poor, not to treat them as objects, but somehow to encounter them, to enter into their narrative, into their story, into their experience of life. Other people, on the other hand, when they meet the poor or are asked to help the poor, uh, they get angry and say, I'm not responsible for their situation and words to that effect, you know, which is a a, a rather negative uh, approach because it means we're not seeing the humanity in that poor person. And other people will say, well, everything I have, I deserve it. I have worked hard for it. But perhaps you have not taken into consideration that you have had access to education, a position in life, a family. Uh, You have not been down oppressed by apartheid, you've had contacts, and in times of illness and and ill health, you have always found someone to care for you. So uh, we need to rethink, to touch our hearts again, and not to react negative uh, to this day of the poor. Now, the Pope, in speaking about it, I'm looking now for a moment at his letter. He speaks about the poor, and this he spells it out very concretely. The Pope says, we know how hard it is for our contemporary world to see poverty clearly for what it is. Yet in myriad ways, poverty challenges us daily in faces marked by suffering, marginalization, oppression, violence, torture and imprisonment, war, deprivation of freedom and dignity, ignorance and illiteracy medical emergencies and shortage of work, trafficking and slavery, exile, extreme poverty and forced migration. Poverty has the face of women, men and children, exploited by base interests, crushed by the machinations of poverty and money. And he goes on to give even a longer list. But in other words, uh, the poor are certainly always with us. And um, not only are we talking about uh, people who are materially poor, we are talking about them. In fact, this Sunday, the Pope will go to a special church where he say Mass with the poor and for the poor. And afterwards, he will go to a great hall where he will share a lunch with the poor people in Rome. Uh, So he is inviting us uh, really uh, to meet uh, Christ in another place, to come outside our churches and uh, to find Christ in the poor because it will be a great grace for us. And I think really in South Africa, the crucial word is has to do with relationships, with encounter. Uh, how are we going to get to know each other, to be reconciled, unless we encounter each other? So we, uh, we, we must make every effort in our churches. Perhaps next year, uh, when the bishops start a Lenten campaign, 
they will be looking at certain aspects that will invite people to share their narratives with each other so that we enrich each other and we begin to see the the humanity of each other. Uh, And the Southern Cross this weekend, I see that uh, the Diocese of Johannesburg, and we will support it from Swanee as well, uh, will um, uh, sort of ask that the uh, the lives of Domatilla and Danny Heim be considered for beatification. You know, and Domatilla and Danny, um, you know, they came back to South Africa. She was born in Italy. He was an Italian soldier in the second, or a South African soldier in Italy in the Second World War. They met over there and then eventually they married. They came back here. They had a good family. They lived here in Edenvale, right very close to Radio Veritas. And Domatilla began to notice uh, how poor social services were in the early 1950s and noticed that it was the mother and the home who had to nurse that disabled child, that retarded child, that handicapped child, that that autistic child. And so to relieve and help those mothers, Domatilla got the idea on Saturdays of bringing, telling the mothers to the church, she was a very, very devout Catholic, uh, to bring the the children to her house and she would nurse them on Saturdays so that the mothers would have a day off, a day to go shopping, a day to relax, a day to get out of the house. And so this developed into Little Eden. And we have it here, of course, in Edenvale and also out in Bapsfontein, where Domatilla and Danny are buried. Bapsfontein was a beautiful farm that they have and developed so that the older uh, children, because these children were people who were discarded. They were left outside police stations. They were dumped because they were physically disabled and also mentally disabled. And so nobody wanted them. Uh, people were afraid of them. Domatilla gathered them and over the years thousands have been helped by her. Domatilla herself had a vision of Our Lady as she prayed. She was a great woman of prayer and the visions she saw Our Lady uh, pointing to a whole lot of disabled children and asking who will look after them. It was Domatilla who did that work. (coughs) And so uh, let us uh, here uh, get an example from a woman who lived amongst us and whose grave is here amongst us, who gave her whole life to change utterly the lives of thousands of children uh, and none. Of course, they grew into adults. Still, they remained with her. Uh, all, always she, she, she treated them as she would treat Jesus herself. She made them feel at home. She gave a happiness which was certainly not their destiny when they were born and when they were abandoned by their families. She brought a huge joy and warmth and goodness into life. She is indeed, uh, certainly uh, Johannesburg is very right to introduce her cause and that of her husband for beatification as models for the Universal Church. Sometimes I hope you get a chance to visit her grave at uh, Bapsfontein or visit the work she, uh, that her family continues now here at Edenvale as well. So I would just say then, parishes and that, you know, do consider this is the 
uh, were very us, and whose grave is here amongst us, who gave our whole life to change utterly the lives of thousands of children. Uh, and now, and of course, they grew into adults. Still, they remained with her. Uh, all, always, she, she, she treated them as she would treat Jesus herself. She made them feel at home. She gave a happiness which was certainly not their destiny when they were born and when they were abandoned by their families. She brought a huge joy and warmth and goodness into life. She is indeed, uh, certainly, uh, Johannesburg is very right to introduce her cause and that of her husband for beatification as models for the Universal Church. Sometimes I hope you get a chance to visit her grave at uh, Babsfontein or visit the work she, uh, that her family continues now here at Edenvale as well. So I would just say then, parishes and that, you know, do consider, this is the, uh, the we're very late doing it, I know, but do be conscious of the poor around you. There's a tremendous lot of homelessness in South Africa. How sad it is to see those 40 or 42 bodies. Nobody knows their names, being transported by some sort of a vehicle that breaks down on the highway. Uh, there they are in coffins, being buried, I mean, carried out to be buried anonymously. Uh, how sad it is. And there are thousands like that around us. Is there something that we can do? And it will enrich us. It'll be, we will be rewarded for it because in them we will meet God. Someone has pointed out during the week we were talking that instead of giving blankets which get wet and dirty, why not give a sleeping bag which can be folded up? Um, try maybe and offer some sort of an address where people can be contacted, people who are on the street, ablution facilities to wash, something on our parish budgets, shelters. Is there something we can do? This is a time to consider that. We may not be able to do it before this Sunday, but this is the challenge that the Pope has set before us in giving us this World Day of the Poor on the 33rd Sunday of the year. Let us listen now uh, to our next piece of music, which is coming close to Advent. Come, O come, Emmanuel. Come back. It is now just a quarter past five in the afternoon. And you're with Radio Veritas. Thank you very, very much. It's so good to have you. Uh, now, um, uh, I had I worked in Malawi one time with uh, another Franciscan. Uh, he had spent 30 years in Japan, which is not a Christian country, but has uh, Christian parishes. And uh, uh, coming up to Christmas, he went into a big store because Christmas is a great holiday time in Japan. And he wanted to buy some Christmas cards. And the uh, <clears throat> this man, uh, missionary, knew Japanese very well. Uh, but the, the owner of the store, seeing that he wanted to buy Christmas cards, remarked, Oh, he says, you Christians also celebrate Christmas. You know, he didn't even realize that what Christmas really was. But uh, in fact, what that Japanese uh, store man uh, uh, experienced is probably what uh, is the situation here for many of us. You know, we go through Christmas so fast, uh, so you know, concentrating on holidays and parties and so many things that we do not give time to it. So uh, while next Sunday now, this coming Sunday, that is. Uh, 
no, sorry, the Sunday after this, that is next Sunday indeed, on the 26th, is it, of November, it will be the last Sunday of the liturgical year of the church, this, the Feast of Christ the King. And certain parishes will be having a great celebration and also the Masolignana will be having their retreat and having their feast day because they are the soldiers of Christ the King. But then the Sunday after that, I think it's the second or so of December, uh, we will be celebrating the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is something that can help us to really understand and appreciate what Christmas is all about. Uh, I'm sure you're conscious of through the shops, you know, through the holidays coming up, through the parties you're planning, through the music, the decorations, the ends of the school exams, and that indeed we are coming to Christmas. And uh, so when we begin Advent, there are four Sundays in Advent, and these Sundays will give us readings in the scriptures, emphasizing Isaiah and John the Baptist, uh, two great personalities who point to Christmas every year, and they will help us to understand so that we appreciate Christmas because God has come for us. It's not a time for pessimism or sadness. It's a time for great joy. And um, But let me say a word about where Advent fits in so that you understand. Uh, you might be surprised to hear that the, the church year is coming to an end, say on the 26th of November this year, that is the 34th Sunday of the year, and uh, uh, and then the following Sunday uh, the, is the first Sunday of Advent, and it's the beginning of the liturgical year, the liturgical year, the prayer year of the church. Now, the prayer year of the church is something that has developed over the centuries, and it has developed around great feasts. Uh, the greatest feast, of course, in the Christian calendar for all Christian churches is, of course, Easter and all that connected with Easter, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter, Holy Week. This is the high point of the church's prayer life, Easter, the Paschal mystery. Now, um, this was probably the first great feast celebrated by the early Christians. They made huge efforts. They had baptism at this time. Uh, they had fasting and prayer. They had night vigils. They had paschal candles, holy water. Uh, they wore white vestments. I remember being in the Holy Land this year. There was a huge group of uh, Christians from Bulgaria, and they were all wearing white garments as they jumped into the Jordan River. And I was told that they would bring these white garments home, reminding them of their baptism, and when they died, they would be buried in their white garment, signifying the new life that they had received and the new life that they hoped they would enjoy forever with God in eternity. But so the first great feast of the Christian year was Easter and people prepared for Easter. So we had a triduum and then we had Holy Week and then we had Lent, about 40 days of preparation to celebrate the feast of Easter. It was linked, of course, with preparing people because it was generally adults in the early church who were baptized, often with their children indeed, but the adults had to be prepared to understand the meaning of the great Christian mysteries. And so Lent was a time in, in, in which specifically this was done. Then another feast is Christmas, obviously the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And a time was added on to that to prepare for that. And that's known as Advent. So 
the church year grew up in that way. You had Advent for four weeks leading up to Christmas. Then you had the Christmas feasts leading up to the Epiphany, the 6th of January, the Feast of the Magi, or the revelation of Jesus, a manifestation of Jesus to the nations. Then, so Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. Then you had Lent and Easter. And then you had the season of Easter, which went from Easter up to Pentecost. Uh, Ascension was celebrated in that period. Then the rest of the year were simply the Sundays of the year. So that is uh, the uh, Catholic, uh, as it were, church year. It's a very ancient tradition of our church. Um, By celebrating these great feasts, by keeping a church year, we support a living faith so that we travel through the year with Jesus. And also, by keeping these traditions, we learn from the faith of the past. And also, uh, by having a church year, we make the year itself holy and sacred around great feasts. Of course, there are feasts then of Mary, the saints, and so on, and other feasts that we celebrate. But the basic structure of the church year is, of course, uh, Advent and, uh, and Christmas, Epiphany, and then Lent and Easter, and then the Easter season right down to Pentecost some seven weeks later. And then the rest of the year are the Sundays of the year when we celebrate again the resurrection. Now, um, so with Advent, we have four Sundays then. You will notice it also in the way the liturgy is celebrated in the church. The priests will be wearing purple. You know, the, the, the joyful colors of green and white and red go out and we wear the, the color purple because we are preparing ourselves. We are repenting. We are coming back to God because really at Christmas something fantastic has happened. Someone has stepped into history. You know, when you read the Old Testament, it's about the best book you can read, even from the sociological point of view, to get an idea of how mankind has conducted itself over the millennia, over the centuries, you will find that continual, continual favour. And the world of today uh, illustrates the same theme. And uh, and so we do need uh, to repent, uh, to shake off uh, the accretions of sin and so on, and to come back. So we wear the colour purple. We don't sing Gloria. We do not sing Alleluia. There are special hymns, beautiful hymns like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you've just heard now. And these prepare us to celebrate uh, the, the, the Christmas. Uh, people love to have a, an Advent wreath. And this comes from Germany. It comes from the Lutheran Church in the 16th century. Uh, it's a way of visualizing uh, the time, the progress, the pilgrimage, the journey we are on up to Christmas. You know where you have the green wreath in the church with four candles and each Sunday another candle is lit. Now, uh, I was looking the other day at a sermon uh, by Cardinal, well, no, by Bishop Romero, who I think will soon be canonized. And he um, he's speaking at Christmas and he says, I bring you tidings of great joy. A savior is born for you. That is, he says, someone is coming from outside. God is coming. You are no more forsaken. So don't contaminate the environment with pessimism. And he goes on to say profound changes have happened over 2000 years because of the birth of Jesus at Christmas. You know, we have shaken off our pagan 
Satanism. Uh, we have moved out of slavery and condemned it as evil. We have moved away from ignorance and cruelty, which were part of human living before Christ came. We move away from, uh, we, we, we uh, have experienced the upliftment of women. Again, the growth in art and music, education, you know, uh, in uh, uh, so many different things, painting and uh, uh, all these beautiful arts that have grown up because of the birth of Jesus, the security of the family, again, care for children, for the sick. All these are a result of Christmas night because someone has stepped into our history. Christmas then is an encounter time. It's a time of meeting God. So we will be speaking about it after next Thursday. Next Thursday, we we must speak about the Feast of Christ the King and then, but know the church here. Advent, Christmas, then the Epiphany, the Magi, then Lent and Easter, uh, going on up to Pentecost and then the Sundays of the year. There are 34 Sundays because we do not count the Sundays of Lent or the Sundays of Easter time as one, two, three and four. They are special Sundays. And that leaves us with 34 Sundays. This one is the 33rd this, this Sunday and next one is 34th, the Sunday of the poor. And it's the, uh, 33rd is the Sunday of the poor. 34th is the Sunday of Christ the King. Let us listen now uh, to that beautiful hymn in Portuguese uh, sung by Padre Marcello Rossi, a priest from Portugal. Uh, the Friday prayer for the healing of our nation. Let us pray. Lord, we are overwhelmed by what is happening in the politics and the economy of our nation. Our political and economic situation is in a state of paralysis. Every day the crisis in our politics and economy seems to escalate in a manner that further polarizes us as a nation. Our political elite and business elite do not seem to have an effective solution to resolve the paralysis. We certainly need an outside intervention. Today, we therefore invite you, our God and Lord, to enter into our political and economic situation and make an intervention. We invite you as the Word made flesh to pitch a tent within our political and economic situation so that it is increasingly subject to the power of your healing and redemption. May your grace... Lord, challenge our nation and its leadership to repent and turn away from the sin of greed and corruption, which is a result of the worship of money. May your power heal and destroy the toxic relationship that is deepening between the business elite and the political elite who are indifferent to the cries of the, uh, of the poor class. May your name continue to be a source of solace and protection for the civil society, church leaders and those politicians in our country who are speaking out openly against greed, patronage and corruption. May all those who feel weary and burdened in our nation remember to come to you so that you offer them rest. We pray this prayer, Lord, because we put our trust in you and the power of your intervention. For you are the Lord who has the power and the will to heal our nation. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The good news for a change. Late doing it, I know, but do be kind.